Exodus chapter 30, we'll read verses 17 through 21 in just a moment. We've begun examining the articles of furniture within the tabernacle. As we've studied the tabernacle for the last several weeks, we have found its typological teaching regarding the person and work of Jesus Christ. Kind of the the, the goal, the objective, our purpose in this is just to lift up and magnify the Lord and His Word and see how God has put this amazing book together and the amazing truth we can learn about Jesus Christ, what He did uh, from the tabernacle, which which we tend to look at as perhaps a tedious uh, passage of Scripture within the Old Testament. We get a little bit beneath the surface and there's so many lessons, incredible lessons, amazing lessons, important lessons that we can learn. Learn And the tabernacle not only points to truth regarding the personal work of Jesus Christ, but there are also lessons here for us regarding our salvation and then the Christian life that follows. Now, as we began looking at the articles of furniture, we decided that we'd take them in the order, not necessarily that they're described in the pattern of the tabernacle, not only not, only, not necessarily as they're described in the construction of the tabernacle, but just as as, as you work through the tabernacle, um, the piece of furniture that you come to. I'll try to go ahead and sketch this uh, freehand with a marker that doesn't work. That's going to be good. So, uh, very rough, crude illustration. Here's the outer perimeter of the tabernacle, and you've got the door. Again, a picture of Jesus Christ. This is entering from the east. So this would be east. This would be west. Make that north and make that south. I believe that's correct. Yep, okay. So the door of the tabernacle. And then right here, the brazen altar. Uh, Five by five by three. Made of shit wood within. Covered with brass without. It's a picture of the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ, his dual nature. It's a picture of God's judgment on sin. And so the brazen altar, it points to the cross. We'll review that in just a moment. But then the next uh, piece of furniture that we'll come to, we'll talk about this today. Beautiful circle right there. We do not have the measurements for this, but we do have uh, its purpose and its function. And it was the laver. And we'll talk about the laver today. Uh, You move forward. Here's the tabernacle proper divided into two sections by this veil there's a veil right here so this is the holy place you got the table of showbread you've got the golden altar the altar of incense you have the candlestick on top of that table and then right here in the holy holies the ark of the covenant covered by the mercy seat again today uh the laver when we talked about the altar we said that it pictures jesus christ both in his person and his work and it, first of all, in its location, you come through the door. There is no other way to get to God except through Jesus Christ. But it's not just Jesus' person. It's something specific that Jesus did. You can't just believe in God. You can't just believe in Jesus. Mormons believe in Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses believe in a Jesus. Catholics believe in a Jesus. There are a lot of people who, who claim to fall into the realm of Christianity But they're not trusting solely in the finished work of Jesus Christ for their salvation. They're attempting to come to God by means of Jesus plus their religion, Jesus plus their sacrament, a Jesus of their own making, not the Jesus of the Bible. So we come to God through the door that is through Jesus Christ, but on the basis of his sacrifice for our sins, his death 
on our behalf. We come to God through Jesus Christ by way of the cross. And the brazen altar gives us a picture of that lesson. Not only in its location, but as we mentioned, in its dimensions, five by five was the square. And then that was three cubits high. So in the dimensions, we have a picture of the death. That's the representation of the number five. The death of the Godhead being the representation of number three. Five by five by three, we're, we're reminded of a place where God died. Hereby perceiving the love of God because he laid down his life for us. Revelation chapter one, the one who's the first and the last then said, I am he that liveth and was dead. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was not the crucifixion of just a man, just a prophet, just a religious leader. It was the death of God in a human body. And he did that so he could take away our sins. Brazen altar pictured Jesus Christ in its materials. Again, the dual composition, the, the shittim wood pointing to the aspect of humanity, the brass, and later in the golden altar, the gold uh, pointing to the aspect of his deity. The fire on the altar lit by God and never went out. And so the one sacrifice that Jesus made avails for sins Forever, It has never and will never lose its, its efficacy. And so that fire that never went out points to the perpetual nature and the prevailing effectiveness of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We noted the horns of the altar, a picture and demonstration of power. And the, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unless we're saved, it is the power of of God. And then the altar was fitted with rings and with staves because part of the duties and jobs of Levites was to take down and then carry the tabernacle from place to place. And as priests, we have been called to carry the good news of the gospel and the message of the cross so that men can be saved. Now, um, as we as we move to a, a discussion of the labor. This morning, we're going to move from looking at this as a picture of Jesus, and we're going to relate these lessons to our own uh, Christian experience. In the labor, uh, the, the, there are things that we could that we could study to demonstrate a picture of Jesus Christ, but with the time that we have, we're going to study and demonstrate some things that picture our Christian walk and our Christian life. Exodus chapter 13 and verse number 17, the Bible says, Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal. Exodus 30, 18 now. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. So it's made out of brass. It's filled with water for the purpose of washing. Verse 19, For Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord, so they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him, and to his seed throughout their generation. So the priests, um, they would enter into the tabernacle, the tabernacle proper to perform various acts of service to God and on behalf of the people, but before they would enter into to serve the Lord, they would make a stop at this labor. The Bible says to use the water from the labor 
to wash their hands, to wash their feet, to enable them to go on and perform the service that God had called them to. And, and, and the picture we have in the labor is an obvious picture and an important picture. It's not a picture of our salvation. That was taken care of at the cross. That was finalized at the brazen altar. But as we moved past salvation, we don't get saved and automatically go to heaven the next moment. We don't get saved and enter into eternity. We're left on this earth and given a job to do by God. We are kings and priests, Revelation 1.5, Revelation, I'm sorry, 1.6, Revelation 5.10. We are a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2.9. There are spiritual sacrifices God wants us to offer. There are acts of service God has called upon us to perform. But before we can do so, and in order to be able to do so, God wants us to stop at the laver and wash. Not an entire body, but our hands and our feet. There is a continual process of purification and of cleansing that is necessary for the New Testament priesthood to carry out the ministry that we have been given. And we see this pictured in the labor. We're going to cover three points this morning the need for cleansing, the method for cleansing, and the result of cleansing. Go to John chapter 13, lots of scriptures to look at, starting with the need for cleansing. John chapter 13, you know the setting. Christ is in the upper room with his disciples on the evening of his crucifixion. And in John chapter 13, going to read a few verses here that relate to what we just read in Exodus chapter 30. Look at verse number 3 of John 13. If you haven't left Exodus yet, you can mark it. I think we're coming back. John 13 and verse number 3. The Bible says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. So he came from God and now he's going back. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself after that. He poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. It's a great demonstration of the humility of Jesus Christ and of the principle of servant leadership. He was the greatest, but he, he put himself in the lowest position. And that is so contrary to human nature. We, by nature, we exalt ourselves. We elevate ourselves, it, it, especially to, to, to exercise leadership. Many people set themselves over others, but Jesus said the best way to be a leader is to put yourself under those you're leading and look at your leading, not as leading, but as serving and Jesus Christ, he, he demonstrated this and illustrated this in a powerful way in John 13. When he took a towel, he washed the disciples' feet. That's nasty. It's gross. But he was serving them. He was putting himself under them. He was giving us an example that we should follow. And I don't want to touch your feet. <laughs> if I'm going to be like Jesus, I can esteem every man better than myself. But there's a, a different lesson we want to learn from the passage this morning. Verse Number six, then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith to him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Who can blame Peter for questioning this act on the part of Jesus Christ? Jesus answered and said to him, verse seven, 
What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Peter was a little too bold in his words to Christ on many occasions, uh, such as this. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> well, Jesus, if, if I need to be washed in order to identify with you, give me a bath. <laughs> not just my hands and feet. Just, just go ahead and let me get all the way clean. Jesus said to him, verse 10, He that is washed, neither not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. The passage goes on. We'll stop right there. Jesus said to Peter, you don't need a complete washing. You don't need a total washing. I, I, need, to, I need to wash your feet. I need to wash your hands. And, 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 and think of this in relation to what we just read about the labor. Here's the, here's, here's the teaching. If you're saved, you've been washed, right? Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 uh, speaks of Jesus Christ who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That washing does not need to be repeated. That is one time and you're good for time and eternity. If your sins have been forgiven, then judicially speaking... You have been cleansed, okay? But after Jesus performed that washing, he then left us in this world that is cursed by sin. And he said, I want you to walk worthy of the vocation worthy you're called, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And so as we walk through this dirty world, it is just inevitable that our feet become defiled. And so though we've been washed, though we've been saved, though our sins have been forgiven, that from time to time we have got to sit down with Jesus Christ and let him wash our feet and be cleansed and be purified. Because as we live in this world, just some of it sticks to us. You girls probably know this a little bit better than the boys. We typically have you know, closed-toed shoes and the rest. Y'all are walking in your flip-flops and your sandals. Some of you barefoot, it's gross. And, and your feet get dirty. That dirt that's on the ground, it, it somehow attaches itself to your feet as you move through life. You need to, I mean, especially before you go to bed at night, you should stop and get that off, right? And your Christian life is the same. As you walk through this world there is no way to help the fact that, that there are some defiling influences that are going to seek to stick to your life. And you've got to get cleansed. Come to 1 John chapter 1 quickly. We've got to go fast. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 7. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. There's your salvation. Once your sins are forgiven, you will never be judged or punished for them again. Your eternity is settled in heaven and not in hell. But verse number 8 goes on to say, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So though we have been cleansed from all sin in verse 7, 
How many of you in your practical Christian experience have learned that you still sin even though you're saved? All right, so we've got to deal with that. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we've been to the brazen altar. We've had our sins forgiven. They've all been cleansed and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. But if we're going to move on into service in the tabernacle. We've got to stop at the labor and wash our hands and wash our feet. We've got to confess our sins, deal with our sins, forsake our sins so that we can be clean so that God can use us. There's the need for cleansing. We're walking through life. We're still in a body of flesh. We're surrounded by defilement, and it seeks to attach itself to us. And so we have got to learn that there's a necessary, ongoing, continual process for our purification so we can be used by God. Second, the method for cleansing. Go back to John, this time chapter 15. We've got the need for cleansing, now the method for cleansing. John chapter 15, we'll read the first Three verses. Elijah, you have that? Yeah. Can you read it for us? First three? First three. One through three. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Okay, so John 15, we're speaking about fruitfulness. That is usefulness in the service of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't just save you, take you to heaven. He wants to use your life to produce something that will be a blessing and a benefit to God and to others. But in order for you to be fruitful, verse 3 says you have to be clean. And the agent of your purification is the Word of God. What, what was contained within the, the, the brazen labors that the priests could stop and the priests could wash. It was filled with water. And they would use the water to wash themselves. And Jesus said in Ephesians 5 and verse 26, He is going to sanctify and cleanse His church, His bride, by the washing of water of the Word. Okay? So just as the priests would stop at the laver and use the water to cleanse them, we have got to stop every day and get in this book so that it can move through us to clean us and purify us and sanctify us. Jesus prayed this, John 17, 17. Turn one page uh, to get there. John 17, 17. His prayer to the Father was this. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy Word is truth. Look at Psalm 119, verse number 9. Psalm 119. And verse number 9, the Bible says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How are you going to be clean as a young person? Psalm 119.9 asks the question and gives the answer, By taking heed thereto according to thy Word With my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. This is why it's so important and why we, why we emphasize over and over again that you've got to be in your Bible every day. One time in church on Sunday, 
even maybe two or three times if you come Sunday night and again Thursday night. That's not enough to keep your feet washed. How often do you bathe physically? I would hope at least on a daily basis. I mean, the joke is I bathe every Saturday night whether I need it or not. You need it daily, right? But the same is true spiritually. In order to enjoy the blessing of God's service, we have got to get in this book every day and let it cleanse our hearts and minds just as certainly as your face needs cleansing every day and your hands need washing every day, multiple times. It's okay to wash your hands a lot. And your feet need cleansing every day. Your heart and your mind need cleansing every single day. God said, hey, I I put a laver Right there in your lap, you need to go get some of that water and splash it on your face. Splash it on your heart. Let it course through your mind to keep you clean. Let me give you three ways that the Bible purifies the believer. Three ways that it purifies the believer. First of all, it identifies sin. It shows us the dirt that we need to get off. We're not going to turn there because we're running out of time. But in Exodus 38, when the record is given of the construction of the, the various pieces of furniture within the tabernacle, you know what they put in the bottom of the laver? The looking glasses of the women who assembled at the door of the congregation. The ladies gave up their mirrors and they used that in the making of this flavor. Now, you know the mirror pictures in the Bible. James chapter 1, be doers the word, not hearers only. It says, a man beholdeth his natural face in a glass. What do you use a mirror for? Use a mirror, not, not necessarily to show you how wonderful you are. You use a mirror to show you the problems that need to be fixed so that you can become beautiful. Right? Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? If if the mirror says you, it's lying. The mirror tells you what needs to be corrected so you can maybe progress toward being fair, right? Use the mirror, the mirror says that hair's out of place. The mirror says your face is dirty. The mirror says you need to brush your teeth. The mirror says get that out of your nose, right? A mirror is used to identify the problems that need to be fixed in God's word, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it's quick and it's powerful and it's the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If I don't spend time in the Bible, it's easier for me to think that I don't have any problems in my life. When I open God's word and identify that attitude is wrong, that action is wrong, that thought is wrong, it, it, it just, God uses his word to put his finger on the dirt that needs to be Washed. So the Bible is effective, is an effective cleansing agent in as much as it identifies the sin in our lives. Number two, or B, it produces a desire for righteousness. It produces a desire for righteousness. The ideal motivation for service to Jesus Christ is love for Jesus Christ. And how am I going to increase my love for Jesus Christ if I spend all my time with Facebook and the news and TV and magazines? 
I'm, if the way to increase my love for Jesus Christ is to read about what he's done for me, and I do that in his word. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 3, that every man that hath this hope in him, speaking the return of Jesus Christ, purifieth himself, even as he is pure. That the hope of Jesus' return will have a purifying influence in my life. But how can I focus on my hope for Christ's return by reading about it in the book that he wrote? Get, getting in your Bible and get your mind focused on spiritual things. It'll, it'll get your heart tuned into spiritual things. If you, want to, if you want to want to do what's right, then the Bible is what is going to produce that desire. That's how you are clean through the word that Christ has spoken. Not only does it identify sin, not only does it produce a desire for righteousness, but the Bible purifies our thinking, okay? The Bible purifies our thinking. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Let's look at a verse there. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. The Bible says, Finally, brethren, Philippians 4, 8, what sort of things are true, what sort of things are honest, what sort of things are just, what sort of things are pure, what sort of things are lovely, what sort of things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. What is going to produce those kinds of thoughts in my life? Social media? News media? Paying attention to the culture and society around me, listening to its music, watching its films and its shows? Absolutely not. How am I going to how am I going to focus my mind and heart on things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and virtuous and praiseworthy? Romans chapter 12, verse 2, I've got to be renewed in the spirit of my mind. The Bible will purify. Your thoughts and your mind, it's, it's like that water that's coursing through. The illustration has often been given, but it's a great illustration. Mother gave a little child a sieve. Said, I want you to go down to the creek, and I want you to bring me back a sieve full of water. If you don't know what a sieve is, it's something that you use to sift wheat. And, and there's this little thing that turns, but it's, it's got holes on it. You can't hold water in a sieve, the child would go down the creek, down the river, dip it in the water, and by the time you run back to the house, the thing was just empty. All the water spilled out and, and, and didn't want to go back to the house with an empty sieve. So ran back to the water, tried it a couple different times, finally came back in the kitchen. Mom, I can't do it. I can't bring you any water in the sieve. She said, I know you can't, but now my sieve is clean. And so every day we, we go into the Word of God. And we might not feel like we retain everything. We might not feel like we remember everything. We might not feel like we understand everything. But as you get your heart in the book, the book moves through you. And just like the creek cleanses the sieve, God's word will clean your heart and your mind. Now, let's look at the result of cleansing. Come to 2 Timothy chapter number 2. The need for cleansing. We're walking through this world. We're going to get dirty. We're saved. Um, and, and, and so we don't need to be washed with all, but we need our hands and feet uh, purified. The method for cleansing 
is the word of God, then the result of cleansing is what we find in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll read verses 19 through 22. 2 Timothy 2, 19 through 22. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But... In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man, therefore purge himself. Is that what we're talking about? Purification, cleansing, washing, sanctification. If a man, therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every Good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteous faith, charity, peace with him that call the Lord out of a pure heart. Okay? So, so in the tabernacle, the priests, they had a job to do within the tabernacle proper. They, they, they had a, a, a duty, a service to perform to God on behalf of the people. They would have brazen altar. But before they could get here and do their God-given job, they had to stop at the labor. They had to wash their hands. Had to wash their feet. Okay? We are kings and priests of the God. We, we, we've been washed the blood of Christ. We've been saved. We've been justified. We've been sanctified, judicially speaking. But we have a duty, a job, a ministry, an act of service to perform. But in order to be meat for the master's use, in order to be a vessel unto honor, and in, in order to effectively carry out the duty of your priesthood, you, you, you've continually got to go to that labor and get clean. What did it say in verse number 21? If a man purge himself from these, he'll be a vessel unto honor, sanctified meat for the master's use. The, the result of cleansing is that your life will be a usable vessel for Jesus Christ. The phrase is perhaps overused and misunderstood, but it's true. God has an incredible plan and purpose for your life. Every single one. There is a way in which you have been specifically designed to be of use in God's service. You, you, you've been saved, so you've been cleansed, but you have to continually be clean. You see, there a lot of people that have... Talent, opportunity, ability, maybe even desire to serve the Lord, but you can't make use of any of that if you don't keep your heart and mind clean. Now, it's a great blessing. It's a great honor. It's a great privilege to serve the Lord. It, 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 it'll fulfill your life in a way that you can't describe, that you can't imagine but in order to be qualified, in, in order to enter into that realm of service, you've got to be clean. A lot of people with a lot of talent, a lot of ability, maybe even a lot of desire, have disqualified themselves from what the Lord could do with them because they ignored the labor. Allowed their feet to get dirty and didn't get the dirt off. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's end here. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I keep looking at that clock. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 14. (laughs) 
Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, what communion hath light with darkness, what concord hath Christ with Belial, what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols, for ye the temple of the living God, as God has said, I'll dwell in them and walk in them, be their God, they shall be my people. Wherefore come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I'll receive you, be a father unto you, be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. God said, Come out. I said, don't touch what's unclean. I said, I want to be a father. I want to use you. I want to fill and bless your life. Let me just ask you this question. When's the last time you went to the labor? Is Bible reading and, and personal devotion, is it a part of your daily life? It is impossible to be for God what you're supposed to be for God, to enjoy the blessings of your priesthood outside of continual trips to the labor, right? You got the need for cleansing, the method for cleansing. God gave you a purifying book, the washing of water by the word. The result of cleansing, you can go on, be a vessel unto honor, sanctified meat for the master's use. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these lessons from your word this morning. Help us to appreciate them, learn them, apply them. God, help us to value the Bible, the book that you've given us. Help us to use it, uh, Lord, so that we, be, we can become usable vessels for your service. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for blessing us. In Jesus' name. And.